Hello legends and welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club, connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. Today, I'm catching up with co-founder of Finder.com, Fred Shabesta, an Australian icon of entrepreneurship. Finder.com is a huge comparison website, an SEO engine that spans the globe with footprints uh, across Australia, in, in the UK, in the USA, in Canada, uh, Manila, Poland, or I, I can't even remember the rest of them, but there's a lot. Fred is one of the most fascinating entrepreneurs I've ever spoken to. We spoke about the origin stories of Finder and and um, I guess how companies evolve over time. Fred shared his greatest lessons in business from uh, management styles to uh, his opinion in, in the current tech companies and, and the current COVID situation. I learned so much from this conversation and I hope you will too. So please enjoy the show. And we're live. Welcome to the show, Legend. How are you? Good, man. What's up? Nothing much. I'm excited to have you here today. I'm excited to get to know you much better than, than I ever have before. Well, you know, firstly, I guess all the listeners right now, they've found the right podcast. So yeah. yes, keep subscribed. This is where it's at. <laughs> well, the, the founder of Finder is here. So if anyone was going to be here and anyone was going to find it, it is this podcast. It's good to, good to be here. Amazing. And have your, how's your life been since um, COVID started? How has it changed or how has it positively or negatively impacted so i i left new york city maybe i think it's been eight weeks now um ago and i was hand sanitizing and not touching door handles and walking around new york and everyone's looking at me really weird um but you know and i said we've got to get out of here and just as we were leaving all the shells of hand sanitizer were sold out all the toilet paper all the um you know, the same kind of things started to happen that were happening in Australia. It just took a bit of time. And, and you know, in New York, there's literally like 12 pharmacies in a one kilometer yeah, radius, block, yeah. <laughs> all sold. Jeez. Couldn't buy. I, when I was in London as well, just before that, I actually bought my hand sanitizer there and literally couldn't couldn't get some. I actually bought some finally off one of the shelves, which took a long time. Um, but coming back from that, you know, I was in real, you know, forward. I was, I was going throughout you know, through our different offices and I came come back and it's been fascinating because I've been sedentary and in the same spot for eight weeks. And it's just, I'm like, this is really kind of nice. Yeah. You can focus yeah. and you just, you can, you know, you don't, you're not moving and traveling. And so I think that's a good part. I think the other side of that part is I'm a very visual person. And I also work a lot off energy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I work from other people's energy and I give energy and then I receive energy back. I'm like, a, I'm, I, I, you know, that's how I operate. And so being by myself, I found, I found very difficult. Yeah, you've got that disconnect with, with others. Correct. And in the business, what I tend to do is I just walk around and I just bump into people and I say, hey, what's up? You know, what's going on? And I learn stuff. And that's very hard to get that serendipity and recreate that in a digital way. And the other thing I've also tra- been challenged by is visually, how do you recreate? I'm, I, I draw pictures and draw diagrams. And so I've had to 
evolve that and figure out new ways to share context. Because, you know, once you get to a certain size as a business, you need to share context because people don't know why are we doing this? And the reason for it is probably 11 meetings ago, you know, and how do you know when now it's come to this person and how do they possibly, how could they possibly know? And I've tended to figure out new ways to do that from this whole experience and share that digitally and faster. Um, That's an interesting insight. You actually got better at communicating, I guess, decisions in a way. Mm -hmm. And I can understand that because we definitely, our communication as a company, as a team actually went up. Mm -hmm. Um, It went obviously down the physical aspect of it, but as far as our communication throughout the day, it's gone up and it's also united the two cities. So the two cities are in more because we're able to all be in the same meeting now because it's digital. We're all in the same meetings. And, um, and and I think that's been a big benefit as well. Mm. Mm. Massively. And how good is the no traveling? Yeah, I've got a 3.2 meter commute. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best. Yeah, coming it's home is fantastic. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. I, I think the planes take it out here. And just – Getting to the size of Finder, what is Finder's footprint now in the world? It's obviously a major, uh, a major player in the comparison uh, website space. It's a huge SEO engine, um, and I know you're you're in many countries across the world. Do you want to give us a bit of an idea of, of I guess the the um, the the depth of Finder or the, mm. the size? Yeah, I think so. We started here in Australia, mm-hmm. and it's still the biggest biggest team we have uh, in 2009 actually the, the domain name we bought in 2006 it was actually called credit card finder in 2006 um, yeah like so so uh, the quick story i'll give you a little side adjunct we'll come back yeah to the original question is so i was how did we get into this whole thing is and where did credit card finder come from i, I literally downloaded a list of the top keyword searches for the word credit card because i wanted to rank number one for credit card yeah. in, in google how and old are you at this point? I am 2006, so I'm 25. Jeez. Yeah. And search engine optimization was very raw back then, very raw. And Google was nowhere near as machine learning as it is now. Mm-hmm. And I exported this keyword list and I just went, okay, creditcard.com.au, taken. Creditcards.com.au, taken. You know, it kept on going down the list credit card finder.com.au, which was the sixth pop keyword available. I went, all right, that's the name of the company. No way. <laughs> that's how you got the name. Yeah. It's brilliant. And, and, and then? So, so we, we, we focused on that for, for, uh, why were you searching credit cards though? I just thought it was a brilliant, like a very, very competitive keyword. And I, I so maybe take a step back. In 2001, so I was probably 20, you know, years old, and I was I was building. I started, I learned how to. I taught myself how to build websites, and I started selling them to people. And then I built a little business out the back of this, and I was at college. I was coding my my room, and and then at the back of that, I I you know you sell a website, and it's like okay, that's one off, but then you need some more recurring revenue. So I call up my clients, and I said, what else can I get you? What else can I do for you? What other problem can I solve for your website? They said, well, there's this thing called Google. Have you ever seen it? And I was like, no. But what, what, what's, what's going on? They're like, well, if you can get us to the top of that, that'd be great. We'd, we'd buy that service. So I went and figured it out. And I spent a good 
six to seven years mastering how Google works. So SEO and, and the ads and all that type of stuff. Not as much the ads. I think ads, Frank, my business partner, he was more in, always in the ads. He's more of an, he's an analytical marketer. I'm more of a creative marketer to some mm-hmm. extent, but also I am, I'm, so that, let me just explain creative. When I talk about like my passion, my, my, my sort of why I do stuff is I love to create. I love to create things. Mm. And creation doesn't have to be designing and drawing. Creation can be a piece of code which does something. Creation could be like the find a jingle. That was obviously I was very much involved with that. Yeah. Um, I didn't write any of the notes. I didn't sing any of the song. But I think the role I tend to take, and it's if you think about it from an agency, you know, from our agency days, it's a creative director role. Like that's the kind of my role in Finder. Is I and 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 today going all the way fast forward, I actually work in Finder Ventures. And we, we create the new businesses. So we created this new app. We created this and we'll talk about that more. Yeah, of course we are. And, and some fascinating, and we've created this new, we had a cryptocurrency brokerage as well, yeah. which we created. Um, and another, we have another business that we're working on um, right now. I can talk about that as well. But that creation, you go, so I'm going back in time. SEO is about the creation of content and uh, citations from other websites to to you, and that's it. You know, if you think about that problem, that's a very esoteric problem. How do you create something that other people are going to go and find, and that other people want to link to? Like that's a that's a that's a creative problem, and I love that problem. Mm. Whereas buying ads is a mathematical problem. Yeah, and I have no problems with mathematics. I did you know that's something I'm I'm quite competent at, but. It's not like I'm like going to wake up in the morning and go, okay, let's do an analytical problem. I'm like, let's go and find a really creative problem where you need technology, design, you know, um, public relations mixed with copy and ads and all stick together to go and get the outcome. And I think that's what Finder really is, right? It's a massive engine of creativity and continuously reinventing itself. I love that. And you're at the, at the helm, at the, you're at the head of the engine constantly breaking the boundaries into the new realms, just using your creativity. And is your partner then, is your business partner, um, the because often you'll find with the entrepreneurs, you've got the creative ones, mm. and then you have the really analytical, mathematical, mm. logical maybe ones. Mm. Um, is, is that the difference between the two of you? Yeah. And so it complements each other quite Definitely. well. Definitely. And I can be very analytical as well. Mm. Like, like I'll read all the legal contracts end to end. And be very, you know, and I can read a P and L, and I can. I actually studied finance and actuarial studies at uni, which is kind of weird, right? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> you know, um, but if you're going to, when you, if you think about yourself as an individual, and this is, a, you know, something over time, it takes a lot of time to figure this out. The biggest journey of the last ten years of Finder is discovering myself, and what am I truly great at? Mm. What What are you? What are you ten x better than anyone else in the yeah, world? What are you the best at? Right. And, and, and that's, you know, not managing and running a company. I think Frank is a great leader, great manager, understands those things. He, we have a great, you know, Jeremy is also, you know, a co-founder, is COO. He's a great operator. He was, um, he was the like third or fourth member to ever join Cup. Cool. Mm. Okay, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a good networker. Um, and do you think the business, do you think the fact that you had the business that, that helped you? find what you were good at 
did the business by having it help you or did it did you already know what it was and that's why you started the business no i i don't think i only i think i really started to learn about myself i've always been on a journey of self-discovery but to really understand my emotions and really refine that i think i was probably 33 33 was mm. when i really turned that corner and started to know who i was mm-hmm. and make different decisions about you know you may be in a similar situation but you truly know what you want and i think it's all you know life comes down to is choices and i think i just made some different choices and and it's not social pressure choices it's firm i'm going to say no to this and i'm going to say yes to that and the uncomfortable conversations the uncomfortable no's that those that that took a long time for me i think i just didn't really know myself and so I mean, using this creativity and, and just pushing forwards nonstop, you've gotten to the point now where you've created this huge SEO engine, this huge it, – it's almost – it, it's not a media company because I'd assume the media companies don't like you because you're attracting a lot of eyeballs away or do they do they do like you because you're kind of one of them? Media companies don't they, – they're, they're actually, they actually work together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you just – you have your corner and they have their corner. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and I don't know whether people see us as a media company or not exactly. I think it could be seen that way. It's, it's, it's Do you want to explain that a bit for the listeners mm. too, why it's seen that way? And, and I mean, in my version of it, you sell eyeballs, right? You sell attention. So to have the attention, you need to create the content. Mm-hmm. And that content needs to be created for people that that content's relevant for. Mm-hmm. So you can attract a certain type of person mm-hmm. that has a certain need and then you can sell that view or that lead or however it may be to the company that actually provides that. Yeah. So I think you're right. And traditionally I'd say, you know, we had a lot of developers at Finder, but we we weren't really an engineering company. And so maybe, maybe that's the key difference there is, you know, traditionally a tech company, like we did do a lot of good engineering, don't get me wrong. But I mean, when you build a product and you engineer it and that needs to stand on its own feet, then that's what really this new app has been. That's an engineering and product company, which we're trying to become now. And I think we are becoming versus a marketing media company, which we were and traditionally still are to a large degree. We still provide a good service, right? There's a lot of APIs and a lot of great data that we aggregate together. And there's there's an incredible amount of engineering that's gone into Finder to make it you know, if you, if you, you know, hosting, it's got to be like a hundred thousand plus pages on the internet mm. and doing it in, you know, 73 different countries, like and keeping it live all the time and serving up. Yeah. There's a, there's a bit to An it. Outrageous amount of. Yeah. There's a little bit to it, you know. <laughs> well, you've got a lot of help. I mean, you've got offices in Canada, the US, um, England, Poland, have I covered them all? Yeah. We've got the Manila office. Yeah. So, um, you, to, I mean, just to put it into perspective of the scale of the team that you need to sustain or to, I guess, accomplish what you do. Mm. It's, it's no, it's no easy feat. And, mm. and you started as like, just to take it back to where you were, where you mm. started, you were a 20 year old guy who figured out how to build websites and sell them, figured out people wanted some SEO. So you learned SEO and then you using that skill, you and your creativity, you somehow stumbled onto 
Finder, creditcardfinder.com. Mm. And so you started Credit Card Finder in 2006. Was that with the same um, business partners as you have now? or were they? Yeah, so with Frank, um, not with Jeremy wasn't with us then. Frank and I ran a digital, we ran the agency and we sold that in 2007 to a public company. Mm-hmm. And we learned how public companies run. And I think- Very different. Yeah. That taught us a lot from yeah. culture perspective, motivation. Um, the motivations are different, that's why. Yeah. Performance management. Um, incentives. What do you think the motivations are? So if I was to think, I would say their motivations are more towards the the shareholders as opposed to in often cases what I believe if, if there's a private company with a strong founder, their motivations are more towards the user, right? Because mm. they don't have to, they don't have the stress of the shareholders checking your every move and the, uh, checking your every financial situation and if you haven't got that stress you can take risks to provide better services for for um uh, for for your for your clients i think you're always trading that off i always think there's three people in that it's i call the trilemma you've got you've got the company (laughs) (laughs) i've never heard this i'm excited yeah you've got so it's 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 like you know those diagrams you've got the you know there's a triangle and in each 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 corner one corner is the customer one corner is the company and the other corner is the cust- is the client, right, that's making money from it. Mm-hmm. And all the time, Finder needs to find where do we put that pin in that triangle. And it's the trilemma of value, right? So is it steeped too much to the, to the, to the, to the customer who's paying? So the bank? Mm-hmm. Well, then the cl- customer's going to get a little angry, right? So if it's steeped too much to the customer, the bank's going to be like, oh, well, I don't really, you know, that's, that's, this is unfair for us. Steep too much towards Finder, then Finder's making too much money out of the whole situation, and it's you know it doesn't do terribly well for the customer or the partner, and so you've always got this tension. And I think every founder, every business has this all the time. Like, where does the commercial and the customer value, the spectrum, where does it lie? Yeah, where do you put the pin? Correct. And I guess it would have to be a juggling act between we need enough to be able to continue growing to be able to continue serving. So that would be where I would look for. You know, we can't give you too much because then we can't grow fast enough, we can't serve enough people. We can't take too much because then, again, the service you're probably receiving isn't uh, isn't as valuable enough. It kind of has to be that. I mean, that's really mm. cool. I've never thought about that. And just to clarify then, with Finders Triangle, mm. your client is, is, the, is your client, for example, the bank, the mm. person who's, purchasing the leads or purchasing the views from you. The customer is this, it could be me if I'm searching for my best, the best uh, home loan yep. or credit card for myself. Yep. And you, you and so that's your, that's your playing field. That's your yep. chessboard. Yeah. Always that map and that. So, so we're always, what we're trying to do now is, you know, we're trying to use our product and engineering to create more customer value, even higher customer value. Mm-hmm. And use technology to drive that and data. So, so in this, this this app, I think is a real changing of the balance, right? So, what we're doing there is have um, you, what's it called? The Finder app. It's a Finder app. Yeah, yeah I like that. But the, the, see, the difference is most most apps are a representation of the website, mm-hmm. whereas the Finder app is not. Very cool. And which is which is an innovation, right? It's a it's a mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a and it's a a recreation, a reinvention of our business. And what made you do it? What was the need? So, because obviously you did it pre-COVID, it would. This is something you've worked on for a while, yes. Yes, it's been a year and a half. I, 
I can't exactly – I'm trying to go back in time. Why did we start this? I think – That was 34 meetings ago. Yeah. 3,400 meetings ago. Yeah. A couple of presentations. Yeah. A couple of plane flights, few – Screaming at engineers. Yeah. A couple of – no, actually, our engineers are incredible on the app. Yeah. Like I, we literally gathered together some of the most incredible engineers, designers, product managers, um, marketers. Well, I know that that's something that you guys have, have – famous for very well known for is having the, the 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 optimal team you guys have 10 out of 10 you guys have a players i mean in obviously i'm very plugged into the entrepreneurial world and space and that's just something that's known across industry and uh, is that something you've always driven or how you know how does that happen how do you attract um how do you attract the right people skill wise but also culturally so in, in I think the first company Frank and I had, we didn't do enough of that. We just didn't be as um, like – so Jack Welsh did this thing in GE every year. He got the bottom 10% of the company and they didn't have a job at the mm. end of the year. And I think that's pretty ruthless. I, I, I like it. It's, I really yeah, do. it's nice, yeah. I think, but it's it's pretty ruthless it's nice. like from a cultural <laughs> perspective, right? Yeah, it is. So, 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 so I think there's a balance in there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that spectrum, you know, this is again, where do you put the pin, right? Do you be extremely ruthless with people like Amazon not giving like personal protection devices to yeah. their warehouse people and um, driving a 40% extra margin during COVID? Yeah. Like a few face masks wouldn't have cost them that <laughs> much, right? Yeah. Um, and you could have versus, helped them find them. Yeah. And, 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 and I've been to Amazon's office in New York. I was there just, just before and I've been to, to Google's office and the, the two offices are literally the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah. One is like extraordinarily cheap, like literally they they make make you make your own coffee. <laughs> Two, you know, Am- Google's got six different cafeterias, and it's you know free food, free everything. Seven, you know, sushi, Thai, you know, like whatever you want, tea, iced tea, whatever you whatever you get, you know. Yeah. But but you know. And, and then I think you've got two different interesting companies right at the back of that, and think culturally again, this is where Finder needs to figure that out. Is do you go ex- which way do you go? Where do you put your pin on that? Scale? Right, both of them extremely ruthless on performance, but in different ways and with different amounts of resources and different different angles. And I think that's interesting. And and, and I really resonated with Amazon to some parts, and then the other parts I felt it went too far. Mm. Where the company in that pin was taking too much. I think also they're a company that profits on efficiency, right? They've got a high fixed, they've got high cost, they've got high fixed cost. They need volume, which means their operational aspect is crucial and the costs are crucial. They need to work within under the cost. So the more also the problem with efficiency is efficiency allows for lower paid workers because you've got a high, it's like the McDonald's model. You know, this is what you do, this is how you do it. It's all I need you to do. I can get anyone else to do that, which means that the job's not valued highly. They're not getting paid a lot. Mm. Whereas Google and you guys are a little bit different because mm. the roles are not just high level of skill, but there's also the creativity that comes with it, mm. right? Anyone can know how to, not anyone, I definitely can't, but people can learn how to build a website or to do mm. the, the, the engineering of technology and that type of thing. But not everybody can create something that hasn't been created using that skill. Mm. And and maybe that is why Google needs to have such a beautiful offering mm. to attract people that not can just do but can also create. It's interesting you say that the the thing is Amazon still has incredible innovation. 
like they have the pizza team thing yeah. and they've got their principles of innovation and how they go about it. I, I actually think there are more projects probably in Amazon's dead project graveyard than there are in Google's. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, you know, there's some great engineers in Amazon as well. I, I think it's, but you're right. It's a very, it's, but I'm talking about now let's zoom out of that. Let's get a little, little less micro and zoom up a bit. I think you're right. There's a macro um, overall culture of um, engineering excellence within Google that the the technologist and the, the engineer can create enormous value through technology. Whereas at Amazon, they may solve some things without technology. Mm. So, you know, they've got their mechanical Turk thing where it's, you know, they pay one cent for every image of a cat that you correctly identify. And yeah. here is, a th- you know, 100,000 pictures and go, who wants to do that job? You know, it's like artificial, artificial intelligence at scale. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think you know, Fonda does, a, like we definitely have a part of that. We have a very big outsource or distributed team, we, you know, customer service. We have huge amounts of data that people maintain and they do a great job. They get paid really well for their country. Um, they're part of the team. We treat them just like the team. Um, they feel the culture. It's, you know, they get a great, great um, deal out of that. Um, and and we're very grateful for them as well. So I think there's a there's a there's an interesting hybridness in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think going back, how do you get the, the the top quality A players? I think it comes back to what is the standard that you are setting. What would you accept? What are the behaviors and attitudes that you will accept or will not? I love that you said that. I think that's the key at the end of the day. You either don't accept it as a company, or you do. That is the key. And then there's the patience. And there's the patience. And that's what I reckon a lot of people, that's where I reckon a lot of people fall. You know, there's having that, okay, this is what we expect, but then there's having the patience to wait for the person. And sometimes you're like, oh, I can't be bothered waiting anymore. I'm just going to bring someone bring someone on and, and often, often that backfires. Yeah, I think that's a... You know, I think that comes back to the expectations that you set, and from the start, you know, I think I I basically have a very high level of expectation. I started the company with a very high level of expectation, and I had, I wrote the employment contract. I don't know if it's legal or not what I wrote, <laughs> but it was literally if you don't want to go out and get you know win Google loads of traffic and money from the internet, then find somewhere else. Yeah. You know, you have a choice right now if you want to do this or not. That's what it said. You know, like you're keen, you're keen, you're not, you're not. That's fine. Yeah. But this is what we're going to go and do and you're going to come and join another set of crew that are up for that as well and that's yeah. what we're going to go and do yeah. from the start. 100%. This is who we are. If you want to join this team and this appeals to you, we're going to dominate. Come join us. If it's not for you, that's fine too. We don't, we don't mind. Just don't join. It's cool. I love that. Plenty and, of other places. And now let's get back. I want to hear the story of the founder uh, of the Finder app. So mm. why you did it, Is it why, I, and the innovation behind it. Yeah, so I I have this theory that a company needs to reinvent itself every seven years and it should then continue to halve that um, each time. So seven years is the first one, then three and a half, and then continuously gets faster and faster until it has to continuously reinvent itself in order to grow. 
And it, it, I know that's kind of a strange concept, but it kind of like we hit a point where I was looking at the competition and I looked at the markets we were in, in the US and the UK. And you're talking about 20, 25 year old companies, like, 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 you know, when Australia won the, the, the America's cup, I don't know if you know the story mm. way yeah. back, I think it was an 83 could be wrong on that number, but it was very early on. And um, when the Australian team won it, they actually um, went into the American um, sailing club and they had to unscrew the trophy. They were that confident that they didn't have to <laughs> hand it out. Is that real? Correct. <laughs> unscrew the trophy, right? So, 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 so what I'm trying to submit is that there are a lot of people who think this is the way and the only way. And the only way to actually go and then compete in the most competitive markets on the earth is, I believe, to innovate. Mm. And so I'm a big, big, big fan of Clayton Christensen's book, The Innovator's Dilemma. It's like one of my Bibles. What was the author's name? Um, Clayton Christensen. He actually just he actually passed away uh, recently, which is a very sad thing. He's, I would say he invented this idea of disruption. The Innovator's Dilemma. Correct. I am going to buy that as soon as we're done. I think it's a it's a mandatory. It's one of the books. So if you look at what Steve Jobs recommended from books, that was one of them. And he really? didn't recommend many. And 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 if you look at the, the look at the iPod, the um the the iPhone and the you know the iPad and all if just if you go back to the iPod, what is the iPod? So 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 let's take like a step back. I want to go back a little bit further. I don't think that Steve invented like he he may have combined together a whole series of ideas, right? But where does it actually come from? Well, Steve spent a lot of time in Japan. Mm-hmm. And I, rec- I, I believe, and I have my, my personal preference as well, and this is I have so much admiration for Sony. Sony is a great company. Mm-hmm. That is the company. So I, I, and, I, and I want Fonda to be like that. I want Fonda to be what I call a phoenix company, not a unicorn company, where it continuously reinvents itself. And Sony does that. Right. You know, Sony was building RAM for computers mm-hmm. and then built a Walkman. Yeah, and then they built TVs. That has nothing to do with television. Has nothing to do with building Walkmans. You don't use the same machines. So they're masters of using their current resources to to go into different spaces, right? To innovate themselves, to 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 disrupt them own selves. Very cool. I've never heard that. Well, and and you know, think think about it. it was like what ten years of Xbox, and then Sony released the PlayStation. Yeah, where did that come from? That's a great company. That, that is what that is the definition to me. And so what I think Steve did was he took the same idea, right? So classic Japanese product works like this. So when the first Walkman came out, it was big, big and bulky and then it got slimmer and the battery got a bit smaller with the next version. Then the headphones got a bit tighter with the next version and continuously improved, right? Mm. Then they brought the Discman out, you know, and then they did the same thing. So that continuous iteration is just like you look at Apple's products, that's what happens, right? The buttons mm. get a bit smaller. Or they disappear. Or they disappear. Yeah. And but but it, but that idea of incremental progressive innovation, then giant leaps in innovation, disruptive innovation, which is more followed by like. more incremental, right? So that's like iPod increment, 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 jump in thinking, iPhone, uh, and so increment, 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 iPad, correct, <laughs> yeah. right? And now you got the integration between the the MacBook Pro and the iPad Pro, which I think is actually an interesting device, right? I think 
you look at the surface, I think that's where things are going. You want to touch the screen. So you want to touch the screen of your laptop. I do that right. now. Right. Because I use my iPad for my emails and things right. and my note taking. And then I go onto my laptop and I type and then I try to press it on yeah. the on the screen. I'm like, fuck, why don't they do this? Right. Is that what the new is that what the new Macs have? Yeah. They just came out yesterday, didn't they? I think so, yeah. I gotta get one. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I'll stop looking like an idiot now. <laughs> <laughs> I think I um what was I was someone handed me a photo the other day and I tried to zoom it. Felt weird about <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> <laughs> <You're> flat. <laughs> flat. <laughs> <laughs> and and so do you want to be more Apple or Sony? Or do you see them as one in the same? I don't I, I don't think so. I think Finder has a brand and we're building a brand. And I've always, you know, I'm, I've been big on brand. As far as the functions of the company. So as far as the ability of the company to create. Yeah, but I think there's the Finder brand stands for something as well. I'm not exactly sure. I feel there's trust in it to some extent. There's um, information, knowledge. There's, there's just a degree. Fun. Yeah, I think a bit of fun. It's not boring. So when I think of Finder and I think of like other comparison websites, I think like my feeling is, well, I would, if I'm going to be on a comparison website, I prefer being on Finder. <laughs> yeah. It looks like it's going to be a, a better place than the others. Bit of fun, yeah. yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Um, I think it's a bit more personal. We actually put people there. Mm-hmm. That's another thing I think. And so, so I think, so why, why, let me just go back. Why, why do I think about brand? But So I actually think long-term, long, I'm talking about now another 10 years, the Fonda brand will be one of the key assets of the company and that's because I think it's defensible. Mm. Right? You can defend a brand. It has a long-term strategic moat. And people can't copy it. Right. Go back, let's go back to, um, you know, why did we do this app? So the main reason was I I think I felt we needed to re-innovate the company. We needed a big, we needed the iPod. We Exactly right. We need to disrupt ourselves and change the how we do things in order to compete and give give customers at the end of the day a better service. Mm. Like like instead of going and searching for your high interest savings account and figuring out how much you're actually earning from it, it ju- you just connect your bank account. It tells you how much you're earning and if you can save more money. And that automatically the app. That's what the app does. Yeah. Holy shit! And it does it for all your products. So basically, you just connect up your bank account. Uh, another thing is it gives you a free credit score and what we're, what we're about to do um, the next few days is release a new product where when you go to apply for a credit card or a personal loan or a mortgage, mm-hmm. it'll tell you before you apply which one you're likely to get approved for. Wow. So you don't get rejected. So you're taking it to the – and who likes rejection? You're oh. taking it to the next level. Right. And I think that's – Are we really, We're going to release this after you release the app. It's, it's, the app is live. Oh, it is live. Yeah, you okay. can download it. That feature will be probably live when you release this. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, it's. It, but I, I guess. And what did I'm, you spearhead it? You did you spearhead that um, the need for change, or was it a company? The company culture is so strong that it was a company effort. Uh, it's always a company effort. But it was a company decision. So I think this is an interesting one, and I think it's a personal journey part of this. And I can be objective now and look out and then but try and look in i think i kind of got lost in the company in you know and i lost a lot of i i didn't have anyone reporting to me i didn't run i ran the us for a while then i handed that over to and i appointed a ceo and then i didn't have a role which is kind of weird right mm. 
Um, Frank is more the CEO of the, of the global company. I guess I'm the co-CEO to some extent, but I think to a large degree, that's not my strength. Mm. My strength is taking something from zero to one. And so then we created this vehicle called Find Adventures, which we, we you know we funded a few things. We, we, we own a um, part of a Bitcoin mining operation as well. I can tell you all about cryptocurrency. Uh, I have no idea about cryptocurrency, so it would be good thing, <laughs> uh, especially mining cryptocurrency. It's a whole journey. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> actually, if you watch the first episode of Billions, the new season, you'll, see, you'll see crypto mining. <laughs> anyway. Um, so the For answer- second there, I thought you were going to be like, oh, I'm on the show. Yeah. <laughs> While I was in New York, I uh, jumped in. <laughs> I can tell you some stories about New York. Yeah. <laughs> um, when two things, one is the discovery of myself and what my skill was and not being that day-to-day leader and manager of the company. That's the first discovery. And the second one was I felt the need if we want to compete and offer a better service to the customer, we need to do something new. And that's what I'm, I'm that's my natural tendency to solve a problem. I'm good at that. Yeah. And but incremental continuous improvement. Yes, I am okay at that, but over time I get worse and worse. Um, you get more and more bored perhaps. You think about it less. You're thinking, trying to think about new things. I think the way in which I see incremental innovation after a while, at the beginning, well, it's actually, it's interesting. I think it's changed and it's changing in Finder where now I think there's a bit more of a cultural acceptance of big leaps. Before it was all, it went to all incremental. Mm-hmm. We were incremental for a good solid eight years. And that was because you've reached a certain size and you need to protect what you've built. Kind of like how larger companies are less, they like to want to take less risks. We have more to lose. Correct. Yep. You have to, more defense. And I mean, an interesting thing you said was that the founder of the company doesn't need to be the CEO of the company, mm. particularly as the company grows. And it's okay not to be the CEO if you're the founder, uh, especially if your skill set and what you enjoy doing is, is better off in another part of the business. Mm. In your case, and honestly, I think it would be in my case too, would be the innovation, mm. which is the big leaps, creating the next iPod. Mm. Yeah. I think that's a really tough decision and it's something which I think a lot of founders hold on to for probably too long. You know, if you look at, let's go back, let's look at Bill Gates. He's the, he was the chief technology officer. Is that right? He wasn't the CEO. No. You got, so that's, and now he's not even in. And now he, but well, then now he was the chairman in. and then now yeah. he's, he's still. Now he's touring the world of uh, malaria. He still has like a chief, like a developer, some title. Mm. Like an architect or something. Like I think that's what he's great at. Okay. Um, who, who, who are your idols in the entrepreneurial world? So your top, your favorite. You know, another one which is kind of strange, but if you look at um, uh, um, Playboy. Yeah. I know it's a strange. It's an interesting analogy, but um, you know, um. The founder, he um, he was actually called the the chief creative officer. He wasn't the CEO, mm. um, which is interesting, right? You're obviously talking about Hefner, right? 
Yeah, you but he's just so famous you don't even need to mention. Well, you know, I'm not sure. Like, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, he was he's he was the yeah, he was the it, it was called the creative, maybe creative director. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember, but yeah, I, I I know that I know that I know his so, story very well. So 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 I think I I would resonate more like like towards that, and let's think, you know, the biggest challenge I think if you're a creative like this and you're one of the, those types of entrepreneurs because I think there's different types, is you need to figure out how to channel your energy because it can be very destructive, mm. and I I can be very destructive in my own company as well throwing. Um, I just, it's just not good. And I had to learn to master that. And I'm, I'm on that journey still continuously, mm. you know, to learn to master your emotions and stay calm and respond, not react to, to, to work through things. Like you said, be patient, mm. all those things. But patience is not a virtue of, of mine. And uh, I'm going to guess it wasn't of yours at the start. You know, I can't, I think everything can be done now. Yeah. <laughs> and the interesting thing about what you said about Hefner and I guess a very big similarity between yourself and Hefner is that Playboy was a really interesting story as a company because obviously they started by obtaining eyeballs, mm. right? They were doing something so different that attracted a lot of attention. Mm. So they built up this subscription base. Mm. They were just buying magazines. That was their service. But they had this, they had the eyeballs which is, is what you guys do. Mm. And then Hefner used his creativity, obviously to continue innovating in, the, in that space, in the magazine, but they then used the um, eyeballs that they had to create new business models off mm. that because they then went and had – at one point they had the most profitable casino in the world, which was in London, mm. the Playboy Casino. Um, they had movie businesses. That They had – all these different they had they had the eyeballs and they found other things other products that their customers or their eyeballs were going to be interested in and they created that but i do know that eventually they got too widespread that it backfired and it collapsed so again where's the pin where does the pin go how widespread do you get with you, with with offering your eyeballs some services yeah i think you're right um that question I think comes back to I think the core business of Playboy should have moved on potentially from its publishing days and should have just, you know, become a different – I think it should have become a, a just a brand that it attaches to things. Like and a licensing company. Right. I think it needs – Like a to, Trump. It need, yeah. It needed to retreat essentially from some places potentially and that's a hard decision to make mm. to cut – profitable businesses when they do actually distracting and sucking up capital, which should be deployed into other businesses. They should have probably published, you know, 15 different casinos mm. as opposed to making one. Yeah. And that's probably, again, the, the money kept going back to. It's also scary because you're killing the mothership by doing it. And it's like, that's what I know. That's what you know. But I mean, part of being the entrepreneur is having to say, well, look, I had enough, had enough balls to get this far to get to the next 10 years. I might have to make another big, Difficult decision. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. So you're, I think you're right. You know, I'm thinking now when um, Apple st- stopped making printers. I didn't know they even made printers. Used to, you know, and they don't. They stopped selling monitors. You know, that, that those are hard decisions. When what do you stop doing 
in order to reposition capital into something which is much more, you know, has a better ROI. And I think that potentially they kept that core business a little too long. But what I like is the idea of attention being focused in one area. And I think you you obviously did that with the app, right? You know what you guys do. You guys help people find the best deal for them. Yep. That's that's what you do. That's right. Right? That's And that's what the customer needs from you. Yep. Now, you don't need to change that purpose, that what you, you – you can change how you do it though. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the Hugh Hefner dilemma. He didn't change how he did it. Mm. And so eventually he died. Correct. Whereas he could have. And what you're kind of doing is you've gone, well, we know what they want. They want us to help help them find the best deal for them and whatever they're searching for, whether it be a home loan, a credit card or whatever. And we just revolutionized the way they do that. Correct. And that's what you've done with the app. That's exactly right. That's sick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How quick do you think some it'll take for someone to copy you though? Well, I don't think technology is in a competitive advantage. Like I'm happy for my technology to be out there because we're going to reinvent that in like three years' time. Yeah. Someone, something, someone told me once. It's one of my favorite quotes. Is they they can copy what you, they can copy what you do, but not what you're thinking. So in other words, they can't see what you're about to do. So they're always going to be behind you. And and I think the sign of a strong company is is that. Hey, I don't care if you copy me. We already tend, we already know what we're doing next year. Hundred percent. And I think. The other thing is it's great if you like I would prefer that people copy us so that I can go and see how they've done it so then we can go and improve again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for your learnings. Yeah. Um, you know, and we've had hundreds of companies do this over time. You would have had a lot of competitors, no? Continuously. Trying to be you. Continuously. They're and like, we're gonna be the we're gonna be another finder. Yeah. It's like, okay, cool. And what's your defense strategy? I, I think it's 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 very hard to see, but there are so many ropes of small competitive edge all weaved together to make a, 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 a large sp- body. Right. And it, 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 when you look at it, you go, oh, I can just copy paste a whole, you know, a whole series of data. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well now go and maintain it. Mm. And now go and publish it on, you know, in a country, cool. Now do it in like 20 countries. Yeah. Experience that. Now go and like do more more of those verticals and do that again and now scale that and feel the problems you're going to experience now, yeah. the operational problems. The, 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 there's – I think there are levels in companies and corporate knowledge that are in they're, – they're almost intangible and very hard to see when you first look at the company and then when you go to compete, you experience all of its might that you didn't realize was going to be an issue. Especially if it was first because they've learned all these lessons. So you're trying to fight them, right, but you're tripping over lessons still that they've learned and that they don't fall over. So you're trying to wave yours. It's like trying to be in a sword fight with someone and they're fighting on flat surface and you're fighting fighting with sticks and logs all around you. You're trying to you're trying to win the fight, but they can't yeah. because they they haven't learned how to navigate their terrain. They haven't got a clear playing field. They're, they're still tripping because you're ahead. Simply because of time as well. Yeah, I think I think um 
the we, – we're obviously competing as well. Like we obviously have a lot of competitors. And so we're doing the opposite. So we're competing with much bigger companies than us. Um, and, and, and so I kind of – because we're doing that, I kind of see what people, other people are going to do to us. Yeah. You know, we're, the, we're the challenger right now. Yeah. We're not the big – you know, Credit Karma's worth $7.2 yeah. billion or whatever. And, you know, that's great. And I'm like – Awesome. That's a confirmation of our business model. Yeah, that's where we can go. That's where we're going. Carry on. Mm. So, but, so, well, then in that case, in my uh, picture with the sword fighting, you're using two swords. You're fighting one. <laughs> one one foot's got a clip, a, a flat field, and one foot's fighting in a in a, in a dangerous terrain. Yeah, yeah. isn't that crazy? That, and that is what it feels like to be a business owner. <laughs> yeah. What are the biggest issues you've ever had? Like, what were the what were the big parts in the journey where you're like, fuck? This sucks. You know, I think we got penalized by Google in 2011 and that sent our traffic down about 80% overnight. <gasps> so we went, what does that mean? So we call it Google jail. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not illegal, right? So we didn't have to get a lawyer. And you can't sue Google. Don't bother. Of course not. Um, they probably just laugh. They probably just reply to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And people have tried. It's You're like, cute. Yeah. Um, so when you go and get when you get penalized like Google, essentially, you know, we just we got too many links and we published some unquality pages. And we did some things against the Google Webmaster guidelines. And you know, two months like that, when you're not getting any traffic, and you know, there was 12 of us and we worked nonstop. To bring it back. And, you know, it's what's really strange is this coronavirus experience feels the same. What do you mean? It's like we're in um, – it's like we have experienced a major shock and a change in the company. And because we experienced one so early on, we're, we're actually quite comfortable with it. And what have you done to benefit from – how have you found – that you've innovated in this crisis? Have you used your creativity to, to find a gap? Yeah, so I think, I think, you know, the beginning was, I kind of saw it as like a couple of phases. One was you got to do defense and offense. So I think defense, we went through a plan and I think, you know, Frank and Jay were very much focused on that. And the other leaders as well around the world, the other CEOs, actually a lot of managers, everyone's come together to rationalize expenses, right? So, you know, I saw this, I saw this as like, you've got skeleton muscle and, and sort of fat and you have to cut the fat back and then now you've got the muscle and sometimes you have to, you know, as a good surgeon does, cuts a little bit into the muscle or hurts yeah. a bit, but that's for the benefit of everyone, mm. right? And so I feel like that's kind of where we're at with that. And and we're still executing that and that's a, a big journey. Um, and then I kind of focused, I'd say 80% of my time on growth. And the way I looked at this is, you know when you play a game um, of Monopoly and you hand out all the cards and certain people have certain streets and eventually the game grinds to an end and, you know, you you got the reds and someone else got the yellows and that's how it played out, right? This entire experience to me is, okay, put all the pieces back, start a go again, hand out $1,500 and let's play Monopoly again. Yeah. Because, you know, let's go, let's look, let's take some examples, right? So when you go into Google right now and you type in personal training, if you click on the first result, 
that may be a personal trainer, but you can't get personal training from that person. If you go and you want to go to a yoga studio, you want to go do some yoga in Sydney, yoga, Sydney and Google, you go to the first 10 results. They're all wrong because you can't go to the studio anymore. It's all oh, on lockdown. Oh, at the moment. And that's so interesting. So, so when, when you take that idea, right, the concept and you extrapolate that. And so we've started to republish the internet and what the actual answers should be. And so, you know, you find you find us started right. It. So 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 we've you know got a list of digital yoga studios. So when people search for yoga, they're finding accurate yoga that they can use. Correct. And and so you know this is in mass amounts of, and this is not just Australia. This is all around the world. Holy shit! Did you come up with that? I don't think it was me personally. I think Jeremy came up with this concept. What a brain! Yeah, it's an incredible idea. I think I kind of took that. My, my part in this, I took that and sort of extrapolated it to the extreme. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, <I doubt> it. <laughs> so one of the things, you know, currently in, in, in the world is um, with the coronavirus is it's very hard to get hand sanitizer and face masks and, and actually know what's a legitimate face mask. And I think you have to understand, I'm talking not just, you know, this is not, I reckon there are millions, multi-millions of people who have had bad experiences. People are taking advantage of people, you know, people buying toilet paper and paying $27 for a roll. Yeah. You know, it's it's out of control. So what we what I decided basically was this. We went to the edge, so we went to face masks and we cleaned the place up. So we've got this new thing called Finder Verified. We verified the sellers of actual face masks. We just we got okay, we wanted photos of their factory testing. We want to see the the lighter test. I've I learned about face masks. You got to do the lighter test and the water test. We want to see the FDA registration. We want to see the um, uh, BFE tests, right? I want to see photos of them. And then I want to see your, your warehouse. And I want to see your staff wearing them. We want to see POs of the actual purchase order that you purchased this mask from. And so this verification and, and vetting process, right, has led us to become, I'd say, one of the places where you can go to and know if you buy from one of these places, you're going to get your goods. So you've gone and you've seen, okay, all these people getting ripped off because they're trying to order masks and the masks aren't coming. They're getting ripped off. So you've gone and said, okay, we're going to go. We're going to check all these people that are listening that they have masks and the ones that are, the ones that pass our test, we're going to check that, that the masks are actually strong masks, that they have water, whatever the water test, the fire test, that yep. we're going to make sure they've got them and that they are, they've got stock. Mm-hmm. And then yes. we're going to, and then we're going to put a finder.com, you know, verified on there. Yes. And are people able to find the mask through finder then? So they Correct. go on to finder. And so people, if they want the mask and they want to know they're not getting ripped off, they have to go to find her. Correct. Which just brings you more eyeballs and it means you're selling you're selling the uh, manufacturers, um, their leads, their right. traffic. It's direct sales. So you literally found a huge advantage in in the crisis. Right. And, and, and Amazon, we did deals with the suppliers. Amazon approached our suppliers. <laughs> because and Google approved. has as well. Wow. Like we basically went to the front line – of this entire thing yeah, and we started competing with some of the biggest organizations because we've solved the actual problem that people want right now. You know, in America, you know, you cannot get these things and you don't know where, but everyone's been scammed and it's like, what do you actually do? So we went and solved the problem and in, in a way that's unscalable. We kind of closed the loop for the customer. Were you able to do it because your team had more time because of a drop? or a change in the business because of COVID, then they had more time to be able to focus 
on something different or you did you have to add this on top of your already workload? So I'd say we kind of added, like we were, our business was going quite well. Our credit products were, went, went, have gone down, but we definitely had some more, um, a little bit of more capacity, a little bit. I wouldn't say most people were doubly engaged and had to do double, double the work. And, and we've been working so hard, all the crew at Finder, for the last eight weeks. Um, but I think it was because we had this ventures unit. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so we gathered together again another team of people who were ready to adapt, and I call them Swiss Army knives. Yeah, why? You know, they're they're a little bit of design, a little bit of coding, oh, yeah. <laughs> a little bit of copywriting. You know, they can do a little bit of selling, even. Yeah. You know, a, a developer who can sell—that's kind of you know Swiss yeah. Army knife, right? Yeah. Swiss Army knives, unfortunately, in this, just tell a quick story: when a company grows, don't tend to do terribly well because the value of being a generalist over time doesn't scale. They need to become niche. They need to become specialists. Which they're not. They're not the best at anything. They are great at combining a whole and being creative. And that's why. So where do they fit in the company? I think they need to be put in innovation teams. Okay. So generalists are good for innovating, for innovation teams. Correct. As a company scales, however, no, they become less desirable for the majors structures of the company correct but for someone like yourself heading up the innovation team that's who you want because they can you can really try all different things you can do a bit of everything 100 and i think you know that that's probably another reason why we have a series of those people in find i'd say we're probably a larger i don't know if it's larger or more than i definitely know we value those people a lot because mm-hmm. we're very you know we understand what it takes and we're constantly creating can i ask saying when you say engineer this is going to be the dumbest question you've probably ever been asked. But when you say engineer and it's a technology engineer, like a web engineer or whatever it's called, what does that actually mean? Is that the person that creates, uses coding to create new technologies? Or how would you describe that? So I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to paint you a picture. Here's my thinking on this. So. If you hire a, um, say you want to build an Ikea piece of furniture, you know, you've got a cupboard and you can go and get a, you don't really need a carpenter, but you can get like someone who's going to put that together with some instructions. And yeah. it's, you you know, maybe it's one with, it's a bit more customized, you know, and you can do something cool. That's a kind of a carpenter to me mm-hmm. um, um, to some extent. Whereas if you want to build a bridge from, you know, from one side of Sydney to the other, it's got to last a bit of time, right? You can't just, you know, carpenter that bad boy out. You know, mm. IKEA furniture ain't going to last. It's going to be used and it's got to be scaled and it's got to handle what's challenging with our engineering is making the trade-off between how much functionality you deliver now versus how well it scales in the future. That's another one of these trilemmas, right? Where do you put the pin? And this is what technical debt's all about, really. And great engineers- What do you call it? Technical debt. Technical debt, yeah. What do you mean by that? So technical debt is where you take on debt, you you, you take shortcuts. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like- um, To build but, quicker? To build quicker, but you're going to have to go and pay that off eventually because if, if you take on too much technical debt, your code becomes unscalable and you can't move fast. You know, like when, you know, if you ever experienced some software and you're like, why can't we just move this word to there? And you're like, why is this not possible? It's like, mm. well, 
you spent seven years continuously updating it and making it a whole pile of spaghetti that that, that stuck together with chewing gum and you know and and and, and popsicle sticks, <laughs> and you just have never paid down your debt, and that's when comp- that's when software grinds to a halt, right? Whereas companies like you know um, a lot of technology companies, um, say a, a classic one is like um, Alibaba or even Tencent where they just go and their engineers show their code to other companies. They go, this is how we're building this. And they're like, why are you doing that? They're like, well, we're going to throw this away, you know, in 18 months time and you can have the old code because we're going to scale again and out, out code you essentially mm-hmm. and pay down our debt faster. So we're more nimble, can do more fun- functions, more features and deliver more for what the customer wants. So it's, it's, it's like, it's like, um, it's like, um, you know, if someone who continuously sacrifices their health and becomes really unhealthy, but they've been working continuously for 10 years, but eventually their health catches up with them. Yeah. That's technically That's what it means. Okay. That's a very good way to put it. And so engineers, uh, engineers architect things that one can either, they can make those little leaps, those little shortcuts, Mm -hmm. or they can build things where it's long-term sustainable. Like that Harbor bridge hasn't been recreated. You didn't pay have to pay down the debt. Mm. The debt, they didn't take on any debt in that architecture. That yeah. thing is still sending trains and cars and buses it's like, over it. It's like German manufacturing as opposed to the Chinese manufacturing. You know, the German engineering is going to last longer or it's going to be better. So so I think that – so Because? All, all, all that is, that one's slightly different because what you've got there is you're taking the quality – um, aspect and you're just ratcheting it ratcheting it down whereas the German engineering actually sometimes actually is their problem because they they're actually too slow and more expensive and you know so so if you want to you know there's not there's probably more Toyotas than there are Mercedes-Benz or BMWs right of course so 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 the engineering is really high on one but the other one's just factoried out like a lot of cars cheaply because all, that's all people wanted so sometimes the problem with engineers is they over engineer Okay, and, and so 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 in that case, I think in the Chinese case, I actually think they tend they tended to in the past to go low on the engineering quality, but now I think they've learned actually to um, do the opposite and actually create great engineering. And if you engineer too much, your product would um, well a the price will be too high because you've spent too much time on it, but it'll also take too long. Correct to innovate. Yep, and quality, to, to time, and price. Incredible. Trilemma again. Yeah, it's a, where do I put the pin? <laughs> you know what I mean. And I think with what's interesting in the app for the for the first time, we put it on quality this time. You really did focus on the quality. Yeah. So we were sacrificing time, and and we spent a lot of lot, like a lot of money to do it, and we really cranked the quality. Whereas in the past, Finder's more about time, a little bit less quality, um, and then the money's still there, but it's about speed to market. And when you build a team. Is it like, so let's, we got a new product. Is it like when you're watching uh, the Steve Jobs movies when he goes and, and taps the best people in the company on the shoulder like, hey, I'm starting this problem. We're building the Mac. You know, I want the best team. Do you want to be join my team? Is that what you're like? You go find your team. <laughs> to go find or do you already have your team set and like, come on, lads. Oh, so come, on, come on, come on, uh, guys, think, let's go. Um, so... The, the challenging question there is, I don't actually think it's about when you say the word best. It, the the best again is a spectrum. Best suited, best less specific. 
more Swiss uh, Army task. Right. Less like there are fantastic engineers and product managers inside Finder, but they're just not suited to building a product where you don't know where you're going and the unknown is is there's more unknown than there is clarity. Mm-hmm. They don't like that. They don't want to do that. Mm. And so you know they're not. You kind of know. Like I, you just I don't know. I innately now kind of know. You're right. But the the other people they don't want to do that. They want to go and create and build upon what we have created and make it great. Mm. They 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 love that problem. That's a hard problem as well. Yeah, how to make something already good great or ever already great greater. Correct. And what's your management style as a leader? How do you how how do you how do you operate? I think I inspire and challenge. Okay. And I like that. That's awesome. I'm going to start using that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, I, you know, I sort of set the parameters, very clear goal. I'm very – I don't ha- hold hands. Um, I have very high expectations and then I will work alongside with everyone to go and achieve what it is we're going to achieve and I will give the complete autonomy of that to that person and support them with everything they need in order to get there. Um, that was a brilliant description of leadership. That really was. That was probably one of my favorite descriptions, or if not favorite descriptions of leadership I've I've um I've I've heard. That's very similar to our leadership, eh, Laura? <laughs> <laughs> and and does that did that change though? Obviously, did that develop over time? Did you get better at it? Maybe I also want to add something, but I'm not sure whether I am the best manager. I've always said that about myself. And I think that's important when you know that inside yourself. Mm-hmm. When you know, like my management techniques are probably very raw and elementary mm-hmm. and probably unforgiving and so certain people gravitate towards me and other people don't. And that's That's fine. But everyone I think appreciates the vision I set I compromise on the details, but I am not negotiable on where we're going. But I, let's talk about that because, I mean, I fully agree with that. I think that not all leaders are managers, and there there is a difference. Um, for example, I would I would I'm very similar to you to to you, to you, right? My leadership style was it's probably why I liked what you said because it's pretty much what we do at Cub. But I also wouldn't say I'm a very good manager, but there would be. But you can look at the, I mean, the great entrepreneurs beforehand. Like Steve is always the prime example. Like I don't think he was a good manager. I don't think anyone thinks he was a good manager. But was he a fantastic leader? Mm. Did he inspire and motivate? And then was he, did he give a goal and was he relentless in the achievement of that goal? And did he make people around him accomplish things that they would have otherwise not have accomplished or they, or they may not have felt that they could accomplish and therefore he gifted their life with with a with a huge with a huge sign with a huge gift of self-confidence mm. they they broke through a barrier that that was otherwise not broken mm. and that's that's great leadership mm. it doesn't mean you're a good manager but it's great leadership mm. i think you're right i think um I think it takes a lot of self-awareness but to be okay about that because 
I think there's still a lot of leaders and creatives which hold on to the CEO reins and responsibility for too long. Mm -hmm. And then the company kind of gets a bit deformed and unusual. And I think people inside feel unbalanced and uncomfortable. And then the company comes down to essentially an emotionally driven, slightly sycophantic and strange concoction of, yeah, like a, maybe you could say a, a dictator to some extent. Mm. You know, I don't, I don't. I think that's the that's the extreme end of where you don't want a company to be. Yeah, and then pulling that back and going, okay, sometimes things aren't going to go your way. Sometimes things are not going to go to the plan. Sometimes there's got to be a plan when you don't want a plan. Um, and getting comfortable with that and knowing your place. And I think one of the keys, especially to the anti-dictator, one of the keys, which is what you mentioned, was uh, you didn't say, oh, you said uh, full autonomy, but just uh, full ownership over what they're doing. I think that's a that, that freedom to do, you know, the freedom to, hey, this is the goal. I think you're capable of doing this. I'm going to work alongside you and inspire you to hit that goal. But you've got the power. You've got the the freedom, the the autonomy to to attack it mm. and to do what you want from it. I think that's a key because then you can have strong leadership but also the strong leadership in each role because that person's a leader. It's kind of that meritocracy thing as well. Have you ever read um, Ray Dalio's book, The Principles? Mm -hmm. He talks about um, uh, like a culture of meritocracy where it doesn't matter how long you've been here, it doesn't matter what your role is or whatever it may be, if you're the best at something or if that's the best idea, then you're the person that's that's doing that. Mm -hmm. you, you get that. And I, I think that's, that's anti-big corporation – and it's pro-entrepreneurial kind of company. Mm. It's the Steve Jobs approach mm. or potentially the finder. It's definitely the cup approach. Mm. Yeah. And tell me then about growing your global team. Was it hard? You know, I think there are major cultural differences um, between different countries and – the corporate history of management um, kind of has come out kind of differently in, in, in different ways in different places. So I think in, you know, even like the East versus the West in America. Yeah. You know. It's really different. Yeah, very different. West Coast is, you know, more, you know, take responsibility for yourself and let's, you know, have slippery slides and turn up to the meeting sort of, you know, casually on certain times and sort of all meld together, but we're going to work hard and be creative. And then you've got the East coast, you know, you don't turn up to a meeting on time in New York city, you just get fired. You're out. No big deal. No yeah. one, no one would really care about it. Like they'd be like, you just didn't do it, mate. Like, you know, the rules, you know, what's expected. Yeah. East, East is way more hardcore than the West. 
Wow, I didn't know that. Way more hardcore. Um, and you, did you have offices in both? We did or in Santa Monica worked, at first. In both, yeah. yeah, we were in Santa Monica at first and then we moved over to New York. And I think we're slightly more New York than we are Santa Monica. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think that was an important decision and a change for us because it got closer to the media, closer to publishing, closer to editorial, finance. New York's more finer than I think uh, California is. And definitely we're not Silicon Valley. I think we're more... How do you differ from Silicon Valley? The style. I think they both have a certain amount of hype to them, but I think New York City has a much more raw commercial side. Um, and I don't think we're about hype like in California. Um, there's a lot of hype and talk with that in New York City, right? But there's also a really harsh reality that sets in much faster, I think. And it's such a brutal place to and be. And so you almost had to find, put the office in a place that was best suited for not just the company but also the culture Correct. of the company. And, th- so. and, that, and that was a part of the finding. I definitely think so. I think we just, I don't know why, but I think New York just resonated a bit better with us. And what were the opportunities you found by expanding? The, the things you weren't expecting? I think the first thing is that we experience what it feels like to compete against the best in the world. Yeah, that was what I was hoping you were going to say. That would be a little bit intimidating, I would imagine, or very exciting. That's great. You know, we started from the from the back of <laughs> the pack. That was great. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It is still fun, yeah. you know. But you're in there with the big boys. Right. Now, now you're fighting you know, Tyson. Yeah, it's a chip in a chair at the end table, mm. you know. But you're playing for keepies now. Yeah. Um, it's a big market. Yeah. You know, and I think we're, we've been experimenting with multilingual as well. You know, I actually just have to fully trust what the Spanish says. <laughs> 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 um, and I can't read Japanese terribly well either. Um <laughs> But, it, you know, I think that's where the principles, you can tell there are very core fundamental principles of a company that you can take it to another language and that translates. That's great. Mm-hmm. And that's, that, that's, that's, that's one thing. I think the, the global aspect as well and operating like a global company is actually quite challenging and finding a rhythm and a routine is absolutely brutal. Is that because of the time difference or is that because the cultural differences or is it just a combination of a lot of things? And do the positives outweigh the, ne- the, the difficulties? I think we've started to find those possibilities and those opportunities. I don't think we had it in the start. I think now we've got that. I think we understand how to translate something from one country to another really quickly and gather around an idea. I think before that, yeah, time was brutal, context is tough and I think we've started to learn to adapt and scale that. Um, but I don't think that comes naturally at all. Yeah, yeah. That is, that is, an, that is an unorthodox thing to do. And do you have a, a, a meeting schedule for the executives or the CEOs? Do you catch up regularly or how do you do that? Every Wednesday night, yeah, 9 o'clock. Really? So every Wednesday 9 o'clock all the global CEOs – 
come together on a Zoom, I assume, and and um, have your have your meeting Correct. every Wednesday. Yep, that's awesome. And before we finish, I really want to ask the question or talk about because uh, it's something that I don't think many people know about Finder. You've never raised capital. Yeah, that's astonishing. You're in. You've you've gotten to such a great size. You've got such a global footprint. You, I don't even know how many dev people and, and people are employed by Finder, but but you've never raised capital. Mm. What do you say about that? You know, I I have this theory that every company has the correct amount of capital um, it needs, and sometimes if you put capital into something which doesn't actually need capital, then I think it's it's not correct. Um, and for the longest time, I think that we, um, I just don't think we needed money and I'd preferred just to have control and keep our equity and keep and, our shares. And so the company was making profit. The company was cash positive. So you said, okay, well, rather than growing too fast and shooting ourselves in the foot by raising capital and trying to blow up, we're going to just do it naturally. Right. I like that. Yeah. It's it's different, but it is different. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how companies used to build, right? Like real yeah. companies, the strong ones that lasted time. Yeah, like Lego. <laughs> Great company, fucking <laughs> like fantastic company. Where they never raised capital. Uh, the family-run company, three generations. No de- way. Out of Denmark. No way. Yeah, it's like IKEA. IKEA is a private company. Great as well. company. Is um, Red Bull private? I'm fairly certain Red Bull is a private company as well. Right. Um, and they're all from the same little region of the world too. Yeah, um, you know, um, isn't it Zara? I'm like, sure Zara is a, like Lego. <laughs> Lego is a great company. <laughs> Why? Why do you like it? Because what they did is they wrapped a system around their product. And what I mean by that is the moment when you, they didn't think, oh, I'm going to give you a police station set. I'm going to give you an entire world where you can stitch together London with the with the fire station and the Parliament House and the art gallery and the fire you know the, the police station the art gallery you know put it all together into one thing right and that was the system you know you used to piece them together yeah and that's when Lego stopped being a birthday only um slash Christmas time sales revenue, right? It's a continuous purchasing thing where you're adding to your system. You're adding to your creation. That, that's genius. Yeah. They give you a reason to keep buying. Like the little Nespresso pods. You get your Nespresso machine, you need to keep buying your pods to fit the machine. And, and I don't know if you know, Nespresso was a, a technology they had for 15 years. But didn't use. They didn't roll it out. Wonder why? Because they were perfecting the patent and the exact uh, mechanism clever. of what to own. They knew it was going to crush. <laughs> They're just waiting. They were just waiting for it to it really, crash. really deploy it hard. Like, like you know, obviously Apple made the iPad before it made the iPhone. It just wasn't the right time. I didn't know that. But what were the benefits of? So, what were the benefits of not raising capital? Well, I think you know, you build a real company. Yeah. What to me? What's a real company? It makes a profit. It um, it delivers a great service. It knows how to manage costs. It knows how to scale and take bets, make investments. 
most companies, I think, that don't quite go to the next level, I think are they're kind of pumped up private equity and venture capital companies on an idea and a continuous fabrication of a story that may not ever come. You know, and I think we're starting to see that right now. Mm, it's not real. You know, I have a, I just have a problem with some companies when they, 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 they keep this idea of, you know, like Airbnb just raised capital again. <laughs> like when's it going to become a real company yeah. and handle the down? Like all companies, real companies do. That's what they do. Mm. Yes, they can recapitalize. Sure. It kind of goes back to the tech debt. Type Same thing. thing. It might not be tech debt, but there's a not even financial debt. I mean, it is technically, but but there's a debt. Correct. There's a there's a hole that needs to be filled. Yep. And if we keep expanding and not filling the hole, the hole could uh, go full we work and collapse. Full we work. Awesome. And um, and what are your so of someone that has a strong company, real company, or any company of this sort, they're doing well. They want to go to the next level. What were your key advices on breaking through to that next stage going from that 10 to that 20 from the 20 to that 30 from you know on and on you know i think it comes back to systems and processes and refining the operation to being where you are not personally involved Mm -hmm. as a founder then hiring and having a system of continuous hiring where the quality is not only stable but it is continuously improving and then you need to also the final step of any company to do this is uh, that it goes back over itself and recreates its own system and process that's the ultimate i believe goes back over itself and recreates that all again correct and reinvents itself. incredible create the operations that you can then replicate with that can happen without you and then have a system of finding the people to plug into that operation to expand. I love that. And then replicate it again. Correct. Wicked. And um, do you have one thing maybe you want to leave the listeners with, one final thought, one um, key lesson you've learned, um, or anything really that you'd like them to have in their mind at the finish? No, and we I, also will recite that book. We'll say that book name again that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, I think that. Right now, a lot of people are facing two things, an extreme fork in the road between innovate or die. And my submission right now would be to take the, the innovation path. <laughs> and in doing that, keep one thing in your mind that – process that you took to get to where you were before led you to a great place and you actually had a method and you need to back yourself again and that's fine so let's let's i think that's this first thing and then the second thing i think to remember during that is you can't lose if you refuse to give up and right now choose to refuse to give up Instead of going to die. I love that. That's exactly what everybody needs. And that's what everyone needs to hear. Often people know know it. 
sometimes you just need to hear it. You're an absolute legend. Thank you so much for coming on the show and that was brilliant. Uh, to all our incredible listeners, our members and, and all, um, I know you very much would have enjoyed that episode. So thank you all for listening and have a brilliant day.